Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tech Recruitment Show. And it is the final festive episode of the year. 2020 is drawing to a close. So I thought this week we will bring in some special guests to review all things talent in 2020 and also make some crazy predictions for 2021. So in this episode this week, we are joined by our head of customer success, Mr. Darren Edicott, who will be the fan's favorite, the man that has hosted this podcast for most of the year. We are joined by our marketing lead, Daisy Kent, who I'm sure a lot of listeners would have interacted with across multiple of our events throughout the year. And are also joined by our head of talent, Phil Kell, the man himself, who I'm very excited to have on the podcast. Um, I am your host for today. My name is Mark. Um, so 2020 it draws to a close and what a year it has been just in case you were living under a rock this year we have had a lot of global events we've had the COVID-19 pandemic we had had Brexit we've had the US election the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and so much more but today's podcast is going to focus very much on talent and all things tech recruitment because we do what it says on the tin I'm sure those topics are going to influence what we discuss, though. So where we're going to start, I think there's only one place to start, and that's how 2020 has impacted talent. Phil, I'm going to chuck this one over to you first, given that you manage our, our technical community at HackerJob. What are some of the trends you have seen on the candidate side of the marketplace throughout 2020? You know, has there been any specific rise in frameworks or languages? perks benefits you know the actual just volume of people looking for a job give us your take on on how 2020 has impacted the talent side yeah absolutely so i think to to start with your your point on kind of frameworks and and languages um i feel like this 2020 you know certainly won't be remembered for this in in most people's minds but it's definitely been a year of go um we've seen a huge huge rise in companies using golang commercially so i think back probably even a year, but certainly two, three years, Go was kind of this mythical skill that you'd kind of sometimes see on, on CVs, but no one had really used it commercially, didn't really have too much um, evidence of, of how they'd been using those, hadn't really seen applications built in them. However, throughout this year, we've really seen the rise in, in companies using Go. Um, obviously, with it being a kind of functional programming language, it works very well at, at high scale. I think it makes sense that a lot of companies, particularly in the e-commerce sector, are adopting Go. Um, so yeah, Go is certainly one that we've seen a big, big rise in. I think Kotlin as well um, has got more popular throughout the year. I think, again, going back a year or two years, when you're looking at Android developers, a lot of companies were open to uh, candidates that have been working with Android Software Development Kit in conjunction with Java. However, this year, a lot of the requirements we're getting from companies have been very, very Kotlin specific. Um, so I think when we're looking specifically at languages, I'd say Go and Kotlin have been the two that I've noticed the, the biggest rise in certainly throughout the year. Obviously, you've still got the classics, Java, uh, Python, C Sharp, as popular as ever, and JS on, on the front end. But certainly they're the two that I would say have, have really spiked. Um, within the, the kind of framework world, again, I think Node is becoming more and more accessible to companies. So again, going back two, three years, everyone wanted nodies. Everyone couldn't necessarily find nodies and hire nodies. However, now it's had time to kind of filter into the marketplace. 
Um, it's one that I guess Node's probably more matured, whereas Go and Kotlin have kind of really kind of spiked up this year. I'd say the Node market is definitely matured. Um, there are a lot more Node candidates out there, still have the pitfalls of working out whether they're using Node purely on the back end or if it's more of a package manager and, and they're, they're converted to front end code. Um, but certainly Node's, Node's definitely matured as a marketplace. Um, <clears throat> and then I think Spring and React, as always, have kind of gone from strength to strength. They've been the frameworks that have been kind of taking over the Java and JS world for the last two to three years. Um, and that trend's definitely kind of continued throughout this, uh, throughout this year, definitely. Um, from a perspective of kind of what's not done so well, I think, again, within those two particular markets of Java and JS, uh, we've seen the, the, the dying off of, of Hibernate um, kind of increase even, even more. I think it's been on the decline for a number of years, not really seeing a lot of companies that are, are very focused on Hibernate development. Um, whereas again, two, three years ago, Spring and Hibernate were, <clears throat> were, were pretty much synonyms. You, you kind of would take one or the other. Um, and then the same with Angular within the, the, the JS world. Now, I know there are a couple of companies that have started to move into Angular and TypeScript, but realistically, where it was a couple of years ago when it was Angular JS and, and React, which again, most companies are pretty open to both. We've really seen a big kind of weighting towards, towards React. Um, I've been a little bit surprised as well. Some of the some of the languages that were mooted to get big and get big quite quickly, so things like Rust, um, Clojure, Julia, haven't seen too much of them to be honest in the in the marketplace, uh, which is is interesting. Maybe maybe 2021's there, yeah. Maybe Go stole the stole the show this year. Um, but yeah, that that would probably be what I was uh, I've seen this year from a, a kind of tech uh, framework frameworks and languages perspective. Awesome. What a great opener. And I know that obviously the team at HackerJob, we wrote our own platform this year and we decided to use Go. Um, and I think, you know, internally and in our clients have seen the benefit of just how quick the application is now. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me, but I think you're absolutely right in how you describe Go versus Rust, right? This really was the year that Go exploded. Maybe next year or the year after the same will happen with Rust. Um, will be really interesting to see. And, and the whole front-end framework world, you know, it's a, a crazy world with a new framework going live each week. But yeah, really interesting to see React really dominate this year. And probably actually now, as many companies using TypeScript with React as TypeScript with Angular, even though Angular is written in TypeScript, which is, which is another interesting trend. Um, what about you know, the, the wider landscape and, and how the work from home move that we've all had to do this year has impacted maybe the perks and benefits that candidates are looking for. You know, how have you seen the shift from that in terms of, um, you know, that, that from a candidate perspective compared to maybe 2019 or, or pre-pandemic? Yeah, well, I think you've already kind of touched on the, the elephant in the room there, uh, which is work from home and, and flex. I think it's gone from being a perk uh, to a necessity in a lot of people's minds. Certainly something we've seen, you know, when speaking to, to developers, when we do our surveys, when we try and get feedback and work out what we're seeing in the, in the marketplace. Um, a lot of people are now dead set on, if not, you know, fully work from home. I think people do still recognize that there is benefit to, to go into the office. Those face-to-face -face conversations, those little snippets that you pick up, certainly when you're doing more creative kind of meetings, whether that's like whiteboarding sessions, planning sessions, design sessions, you know, there's huge benefit to being face-to-face. -face. But I think often, you know, now when, when people are looking at companies that, that are saying work from home doesn't quite work for us or we're not sure about it, well, the pandemic kind of forced people's hands into proving that it does work. So that excuse doesn't really sit with people too well anymore. Um, and I think the majority of candidates we're seeing are wanting at least 
two to three days away from home. Um, there are still some exceptions that, <laughs> that are desperate to get back at the office five days a week. And the beauty of Flex is they can work five days a week. But I think if there are companies out there that aren't offering at least two days work from home um, through 2021, they are really going to lose out in the marketplace because people have got a taste for it now. They understand it works. The companies are better set up. You know, I'm sure uh, we were actually quite lucky in the fact that we're already quite well set up for remote. But I know a lot of the companies we work with um, were having to, to, to work quite quickly to get things set up. I know we actually created a few tools, um, which you may come on to, to a little bit later, which, which helped facilitate that. Um, but yeah, I, I think work from home flexibility has gone from being a, a nice to have, a nice benefit to, to integral in, in most people's minds. Um, and I really do think any companies that aren't on board with that and aren't evolving um, are at some point going to start losing out on, on talent, particularly at that very kind of top level. If you want the best candidates, um, you know, when you've got companies like Amazon and Apple and people like that that are offering work from home um, and even maybe that next tier down your Bloomberg's and, and people like that, well, if you're battling with them and you're not even competing on the flexibility front, I think you're putting yourself at a huge, huge disadvantage. Um, I mean, beyond that, there are always the, 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 the kind of time, uh, oldest time benefits that, that are, are still there. People do still care about bonus, of course. Salary is still important. Uh, time to work on their own projects, I think, is something that I always like to highlight. I think you have to think about, you know, what, what are software developers or software engineers fundamentally? They're engineers. They like building things. So, yes, they like working on you know, well, hopefully they're like working on, on your project uh, within within your business, but giving them that extra bit of time to build something cool that they can put their own stamp on, I think is a, is a huge, huge perk that you can offer. Um, not necessarily something that's been impacted by 2020. I think that's, that, that's pretty much consistent um, across the last few years, but that would be the, the one benefit that maybe you don't think about that I would highlight. So Either, either the ability to work on their own projects or the ability to do some sort of learning and development in work and upskill and learn new tools and frameworks and things like that. Um, a huge, huge benefit to a lot of candidates. I think what is going to be interesting with the, the move to work from home and flexibility in mind is what that does to salaries. And I don't think we've necessarily seen that impact just yet. So if you're a company in London, then the whole of the UK is your oyster because that salary, that budget that you had for your London role is definitely going to satisfy someone that's outside of London. In fact, you can probably pay them a little bit less and they'd still be getting a little bit more than they would in the local area. So they're happy and you're happy. However, what's it going to do to people that, to companies, sorry, that are based outside of London? Because that isn't going to work in reverse. People living in London aren't necessarily going to take a, a Manchester salary. Or if they do, then they're probably a little bit more junior than the type of person you'd be looking at in Manchester, Bristol, Birmingham. Um, and I don't think we've seen that filter through yet. So I think that's going to be something that it'll be interesting to monitor throughout 2021. Yeah, I think it's spot on, Phil. I think it's been so interesting to see how now Flex will work on its like table stakes. And probably the, the, the big trend that we've seen, right, is this remote UK thing that you were just touched on at the end there around actually, you know what, we're based in Manchester, but we're going to hire from all around the UK and people can come to the office one or two days a month if they so wish which is some real big benefits from a DNI perspective, you know, potentially from a, from a salary perspective as well. But like you said, maybe that dynamic doesn't work in reverse. If you are paying, you know, salary levels in the, in the Midlands are probably 10 or 15 or 20K less than what they are in London. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the remote UK evolves next year. I feel like to me, that's the big remote trend. But I think you're spot on. It is now table stakes to have flexi working. Um, and like you said, some of the other perks are kind of, you know, a given. 
Darren, from your side, you know, you, you, you head up the customer success side at, at HackerJob. You've got great visibility, you know, from a, from a client perspective. What are you seeing in the talent marketplace at the moment that's really taken your eye? Or what's been the main theme from 2020 for you? So I've, I think companies are still adapting to this remote working piece. I was having a conversation literally 10 minutes before I jumped onto this call um, with a client based in, in on the South Coast. And they were saying that they are moving towards that because they're struggling to, to find the talent because the reality is most companies are moving towards uh, that kind of hybrid model that I think really will be what we see in 2021. I don't personally foresee that that many businesses will move towards fully remote, but I think that the majority of businesses probably will move towards somewhat of a hybrid model, similar to what we're going to do at HackerJob, where you need to be in the office a couple of days a week for those tasks that are very team and scrum related. And then for the outside of tasks that are more individual, you can probably work from home. So I'm seeing that as a trend in the market. I think what I've been very, very interested in, something that we're very passionate about at HackerJob, is DNI piece. So I think that for a long time, everyone everyone's focused on on the D side of DNI, but very few people are focused on the I side. So, a lot of, uh, for a number of years, gender diversity has been on the agenda. Um, but I think with the advent of Black Lives Matter, but also um, it's been ten years since the uh, original uh, clause it was written in that you need to be more inclusive for workers in the UK. So I think that we're starting to see companies take into consideration not just during an interview stage, but also when they come and work for the business, is our office set up so that we can we can bring people in from all kinds of backgrounds. Um, I think interestingly, and we can't avoid the, the COVID talk, I, I think that during the middle part of 2020, we saw a dip in the amount of companies that are hiring. Very, it, there wasn't many companies that completely shut off hiring, but there was a lot that slowed it down. And we work with a lot of companies across logistics and travel. So it meant that as a result of that, they were having to be slightly more mindful of the hires they were making. So they were making hires based more around these are pivotal hires that we need to make sure we've got people in the business rather than hires as a whole, because obviously travel, let, let's name that as the industry. Um, travel is shut down for a big proportion of the year, probably half of the year, you've not been around able to travel outside of the UK unless you're working on business. So it's meant that there's a lot of pause on that side. Um, and Phil kind of touched on it, but I think that I personally, at least when talking to clients, seen a, a massive increase in talent. So uh, when speaking to clients, they're often saying that when they put something on LinkedIn now, a job advert, what they're seeing is they're getting between 100 and 150 applicants. The reality is that's a bit of a misnomer because just because you're getting more applicants doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right applicants. You could get 150 of them, but you may still only be getting the same number of applicants through that are relevant to your role. So I'm always mindful when a company says that they're seeing more applicants about are you seeing the right applicants? Because that's really what matters. Or is it just white noise that you're getting a lot of people through, but they aren't the right kind of people? Um, and then I guess as the, the the final piece on my side, and there's something I'll touch on with, with Daisy later, a question I've got for Daisy um, when it comes to like physical events, is employer branding. I think more than ever, companies are mindful that they need to create the best experience for candidates rather than assuming that they are the best company out there. So therefore, company uh, candidates should want to work for them. More than ever, companies are bearing in mind that are we creating an environment that someone is going to want to stay with us for a number of years 
because it's very costly to continuously recruit, not just from a, a fees perspective, because a lot of companies do work with agency still, but also from the, the cost of having to upskill and uh, and get the, the, the candidates to the right level that you need them in to be able to do the day-to-day. So uh, I think it's been interesting that companies are focusing more on employee branding to make sure that when they bring people in, not only are they enjoying the experience during the interview process, also, when they join the business, they're getting a great onboarding process. So therefore, they feel loved and they feel all, all, all touched and uh, like they, they really want to be there afterwards. Yeah, I mean, some brilliant points you've raised there, Daz. And, you know, there's so many that I want to dive into. I'm conscious that, the, you know, this isn't going to be a two-hour episode. But, um, <laughs> but I think the point around applications is really interesting, right? I'm sure, Phil, you've probably seen a big trend in, you know, that number of candidates that are looking for a job this year and, and how much that has risen. Um, might be interesting to get your take on that in a second. But just before we go there, Darren, you, you spent a bit of time there talking about diversity and inclusion. I know, Daisy, you actually sit on our DNI committee at Hacker Job. Um, and I know you've hosted a few panels this year on diversity and inclusion. It would be awesome to get your take on, you know, how you've seen diversity and inclusion evolve in 2020 um, in, in the, the tech recruitment space. Yeah, definitely. I feel like 2020 has just been a year. I think in terms of diversity and inclusion, I think what we've learned from this year is that businesses just don't have an excuse to stay silent on those kind of personal issues that perhaps before traditionally, especially large organisations, perhaps wouldn't have got involved with. Um, So obviously with the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, that happened this year, you know, we kind of recently kind of moderated a session as part of our tech recruitment takeover series that was actually all about having skin in the game and how important it is as a business to kind of take a stand and make sure that you're representing and supporting your employees and putting it out there that you're kind of standing up for what's right and what you believe in as part of your core values as a business. How diversity and inclusion has changed, I think it's interesting because I think on the one hand, we're kind of still stuck a little bit. I think there is still, especially in tech recruitment, that kind of thing of diversity to me as a business means that I just need more women in my organisation who are engineers. But actually what we are starting to see and what we are kind of starting to crack is that whole kind of thing of talking about lots of different types of diversity because there are so many different things that make people diverse. There's neurodiversity, for example, there's social mobility, for example, there's BAME, there's so many different things that make somebody diverse. Perhaps somebody has um, a physical disability. You know, there are so, so, so many different things and it's been such an eye-opening year. And I think such a year of kind of learning, especially as part of the GNI committee and kind of having these discussions, moderating these panels and kind of seeing that actually there is so much more as a world that we need to do and kind of in terms of championing diversity and making those changes. But definitely it has been so exciting to see brands kind of actually standing up for themselves and actually being brave and actually discussing what they're doing and saying, well, actually, our CEO called this person out on Twitter because they were being so rude and horrific about my business, you know. And seeing that kind of shift and that mindset and seeing people become braver has been amazing, definitely. Really, really good. Yeah, and we're going to come back to that concept of skin in the game because I think there's definitely things we want to unpack there. The the number of events this year that have challenged brands to take a stand. And, you know, I'm not going to steal your funder days. I know you've got a lot of ideas in this space. But but just quickly before we go there, Phil, I just want to come to you on that point that Darren raised around an increase of applications. You know, we're recording this on December the 15th. I think I read this morning on the BBC that 
the redundant number of redundancies that have been made this year in the UK are now at an all-time record high. Um, unemployment still slightly masked by the furlough scheme, so it's difficult to know what true unemployment is right now. But what have you seen in terms of the volume of candidates looking for a job? And also, you know, how, how's Brexit starting to look at that, that, what that talent pool looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, yeah, to, to, to put some basic stats on it, we're sat here today, exactly a year on. Um, we've now got double the amount of live candidates, a little bit more actually than double the amount of live candidates than we had this time last year. Um, so from a personal or, or a hack job perspective, yes, we've seen a huge influx um, in the amount of candidates that, that are live. Um, partially probably because we have expanded across the UK. So obviously we're now covering most of the main, main or all of the main tech hubs in the UK. So that's had an impact. But yes, we've got a lot more active candidates. Um, so we're seeing a lot more people on the, 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 the jobs market. As you've already touched on, we've seen some, a lot of data on the amount of applications that have, have gone up. Actually, that was, I think, one of the main reasons clients were actually coming to HackJob because the, the, the time and effort of sifting through those 180 applications to find the five that were, were relevant was, was actually pretty counterproductive. So, yes, there's been that spike, but I think for, for, for companies like ours and systems like ours where, yes, we focus on getting you a volume of candidates, but we have that system in place to match the right ones to you and boil that down to the... The, the exact sort of candidate pool you're looking for to distill it down. Um, I think that's where we've really seen a, a big, big benefit. Um, I think as well that there's been a lot of anxiety in the marketplace. So I know just anecdotally from speaking to the TAs, a lot of what we're finding, which again has, has kind of worked, uh, I suppose, in, in, in our favour, is the fact that we're a closed system. Um, so yes, there are obviously a lot of people that are out there and are redundant um, who don't necessarily have to worry about their boss finding their CV on a, on a job board or um, anything along those lines. However, what, what we did find anyway, particularly in the summer when the furlough scheme was in, in full swing, a lot of people that were sat on furlough were very anxious about going and looking for another job because obviously you don't want to endanger the current job where you, fair enough, you're only getting 80% of pay, but it's still you know, a decent amount of money coming in. So we've seen a lot, I think a lot more anxiety than usual. Um, of people losing what they, they, they currently have. So while there's probably been a big influx on, I wouldn't know myself, but on the job boards and things like that, um, of, of kind of active candidates that are out of work, I think when it comes to candidates that are in work, we've seen an influx on the, the, the platform as well because of that privacy that that, that hacker job offers. So, you know, you're not, you're not out there in the, the, the public eye. Um, and then I think from, a, from an EU and, and Brexit perspective, yes, I think that's probably been one of the biggest trends we've, we've seen. Um, I think, again, so we did start to see the impact, to be honest, in 2019, with slightly less uh, EU candidates um, as a proportion of our, our, our total kind of live candidate pool at any one time. Um, but I think even over last year, I think 30% of our candidates, roughly, um, were, were, were EU citizens, whether they were based in the UK or based in, the UK, in, in, in parts of the EU and looking to relocate over. Um, however, now we've, we've dropped that down to below 10%. Um, so the majority of the candidates using the, the platform and that we're seeing in the marketplace are British citizens, ILR, or on you know a pre-existing uh, British visa scheme. Um, in terms of kind of the effect of Brexit moving forward, it's very difficult to say. I think we're all, uh, all aware of where the talks are um, and, and, and kind of what hour we're at within, within those talks. Um, and obviously we're still waiting to see what sort of impact that will have, whether we have a deal or not, how is that going to impact uh, the, the, the immigration side of things. Obviously we did get the new, um, the new visa rules not too long ago, to be honest, it would have been nice to have them a little bit more in advance. Um, but we do have those to, to look over. 
at the moment, but it'll be interesting to see what, what sort of impact that has, how many EU candidates are willing to relocate and are looking to go through that visa process uh, through 2021. We haven't seen a big influx yet, um, but that could all change, obviously, once, once things do finally get finalised and we, we kick into the new year. Um, and what's been interesting as well is obviously the arrangement that we now have with Hong Kong. We've started to see some of those developers filter through into the marketplace, the, the, the citizenship that was offered to, to Hong Kong citizens following the, the crackdown over there. We've started to see some of those developers filter into the marketplace. So I think that's probably something that we'll see continuing through into 2021. You, you've already pinched my next question, Phil, which was going to be 2021 predict, predictions. We'll get there, so don't you worry. We will absolutely touch on some of those things. And as you said, Brexit talks are at a tenth stage. Uh, just coming back to you, Dan, just to round up on the client side before we jump into some of the, the things that Daisy's already touched on around EVP and employer brand. I know, you know, you've you've faced a lot of the, the content we've done this year. You've hosted a lot of the webinars. You know, you've hosted the majority of the podcast, etc. What's kind of your summary of, of 2020 from the client side or, or your sort of concluding thoughts from a, from a client's perspective or a company's perspective in, in 2020? So, so I think what's impressed me with companies this year or clients this year is flexibility is probably the word that I've used most. So I think that companies have had to adapt very quickly. No one knew what was going to happen in 2020. We kind of knew Brexit was happening. IR35 was on the table and then flew away. And then uh, and then obviously we've had the, the COVID situation. So what's really impressed me is that companies have had to be very adaptable and be very flexible. And you've seen it in, in droves. So I think that the companies that will come out of this in the best shape are the companies that have, have um, found a way through it, not just from a monetary perspective, but from a ability to look at what they need to achieve and finding the right people. So I think that companies now more than ever are looking at the goals of what they're they're trying to do and they're seeing actually how can we flex on this requirement in order to bring in the right person so i think more than ever you're seeing companies that are um tech driven in terms of understanding that just because a developer doesn't know a certain tool right now doesn't mean they can't learn it in the future whereas i think it back in 2017 2018 uh, if you look at job spec that was the absolute requirements whereas i think the reality is more than ever, I'm very impressed with internal teams that they understand that you may not have this tool, but you have that tool and there's a lot of crossover from it. So I think flexibility and adaptability is probably the words I would use. Awesome. And I think that's a brilliant segue into talking around employer branding and EVP, you know, that idea of flexibility. You know, Daisy, coming to you on this, you know, you've you've driven a lot of activity from our perspective, from a, from a marketing standpoint this year. Um, but probably this year more than ever, that EVP element of employer brand has become even more important with these big global events, you know, happening. Talk to me about what you've seen in the in the marketing landscape from an employer brand EVP perspective throughout 2020. Um, yes, definitely. I mean, in 2020, employer brand is more important than ever. And what we're kind of learning is a lot of people actually have really, really amazing brands but it's about how they market these brands and showcase why they're such brilliant places to work. And obviously this comes into EVP, but you know, having you know, a good employee value persona isn't just about understanding who you are as a business, but it's about knowing who you want to be as an organization in the future and thinking about you know, the kinds of culture that you want to foster and the perks and benefits you can offer and really how your company perception aligns with your overall vision. Um, you know, we're, so we're seeing that people are becoming braver and we're seeing honesty as well, which is really interesting. I think 
brands this year have become more honest and kind of owning who they are and maybe knowing, okay, I'm not Amazon. I'm not Google. I'm not Facebook. This is who our brand is instead. This is why we're credible. This is why we're great. This is what we can offer. And I think that's really interesting because I think it aligns so much more than just kind of money and how much people are willing to pay or how much salary people are willing to take even. This year, we're learning that core values are worth so much more than just cash alone which is great I think as well what I always say um, and what I would say to any business is that everybody is marketing and I think anybody and everybody in a business has a responsibility to market that business I think something that we kind of are hearing a lot is that especially recruitment teams they feel maybe responsible for DNI in particular they feel like they're the ones responsible for bringing in diverse candidates when actually a diverse candidate may not be so inclined to apply for an organisation that maybe hasn't been brave enough to kind of showcase their values and stand up for what's right and kind of what they believe in. And that's been really, really interesting as well. And I definitely think that's something that Hack Job is really going to help to try and tackle in 2021 for sure. Um, I think, you know, as I said earlier, skin in the game. Um, businesses just don't have an excuse to stay silent on anything. I drew on Black Lives Matter earlier, but even with things like Brexit, with Pride, with COVID, everything, businesses have to be supportive of their employees because it is, it's like a family, you know, we're all kind of here and I'm not just talking about Hackathon, but in general, when you work for an organisation, you're all there as one and you're all kind of fighting to survive. And just because COVID may not affect your industry directly, that doesn't mean that there won't be an impact or a backlash or whatever. And I think employers this year have really kind of had to stay on top of things more than ever before and really kind of have that compassion and care that perhaps before it's not they didn't have it but they didn't need to show it as much so that's really really interesting and then I think the final thing I would kind of say on this is that community is everything and this is probably our kind of biggest marketing learning this year and if you have said to me that we would have hosted, I think we've hosted over 25 events this year alone. I probably would have laughed in your face. Um, but I think at Hackadob, you know, we know that it's all about adapting and being open to change. And we've certainly seen that reflected in organisations twice, three, four, five times our size, never mind, you know, a smaller organisation like ourselves. And I think you know, we, we made ourselves open to the wider recruitment community this year. And that's something that, you know, in recruitment or in any kind of sector, the way you've got competitors, you don't kind of tend to do that kind of thing. But this year we chose to. Um, and how we did that was with our tech recruitment training sessions. And we made sure to include and invite everyone, regardless of whether they're an agency recruiter, maybe they were internal or had a totally different job entirely. And I think that kind of relationship building has been so vital at this time because we care about our community and we wanted to support them however we could. And people know us for being those kind of experts in tech recruitment because we are a tech recruitment marketplace. So kind of offering those kind of three in-depth training sessions that we're still moving forward with towards the end of the year and we're still kind of building that community and our brand ourselves and kind of sharing that love has just been so vital for us as a business this year and definitely the biggest marketing learning, I think, for me, for sure. Yeah, and a massive props to you, Daisy. I mean... Absolutely. When we sat down in January 2020 and went through, yeah, roughly this is what we're going to do this year. The, the 25 events or the tech recruitment training was certainly not on the agenda. But I think 
Um, I was putting some stats for, for a LinkedIn post that I'm going to share this week. And I think it's something like over two and a half thousand internal recruiters have joined, whether it be, you know, TRT season one, season two, season three, the podcast, all, all, all of the other bits and pieces we've been doing. And that community piece is just everything. It is, especially when, you know, a community like ours, um, you know, the recruitment community in the UK has been really heavily impacted by COVID. And there's been a lot of job losses earlier this year. There was a lot of people that went on to furlough. Um, it's a, a really been a really difficult and challenging year for a lot of people, but that community piece has been incredible. You know, Darren, I touched on it earlier that you've hosted a lot of events and, you know, a lot of the, the, the amazing events that Daisy's organised, you've been, been a host on. What's, what, what have you heard in the employer brand EVP space this year that really kind of stands out for you? So it kind of builds on something you just said just then, but also builds on, um, on what Daisy was saying a couple of minutes ago. And I think it's that companies now are willing to put their head above the water and put their neck out there. I think that's always been a fear across the industry that you can't put your neck out there and say really what you think. But I think the reality is in 2020 and 2021, and sorry, I'm, I'm cutting the thunder a bit because I know we'll get to 2021. But um, I think companies now realise that they need to know what they stand for and go, this is us. And I think a great example of that is, is Gymshark. If you look at Gymshark during 2020, they've absolutely taken off and a lot of it has come off the back of, of some really great feelings as a result of a few pitches that came out during the Black Lives Matter. Obviously, they're doing incredible as a business, but I think what I was always very impressed about because they've come from, uh, from relative obscurity, really, over the last year, um, I think what's really impressed me was that even they took a risk and it, it's paid off in dividends. So I think that hopefully that will prompt a few more companies to take risks. I know that uh, I won't spoil the uh, the information quite yet, but we've got some exciting news in 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 tw- coming in twenty twenty one that I think will make us put our heads above the water in it. So uh, I think that's a prediction for for next year that more companies will start doing that. And then uh, I guess I'm going to start throwing questions back at you. Uh, so I think it's only fair that Mark has a few questions. So um, probably this has been your hardest year ever as, uh, as the leader of Hacker Job. Um, so uh, I guess you didn't predict that you would, you would come into this year and you'd be dealing with a pandemic as the, uh, as the CEO of the business. So what has the year been like for you? Um, yeah, great, great question. I think incredibly challenging, but also very rewarding, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I remember when I did an all hands, and I'll be very honest, I did an all hands probably in end of Jan, and somebody said to me, do we need to be worried about coronavirus? Are we going to shut the office? And I literally laughed and said, no, nah, we'll be fine. And then Phil and I were on a trip to the our, our office in Romania. And at the start of that week, somebody also asked me, and I was like, no, I don't think so. And by the end of that week, we shut both the office in Romania and London. So I think, you know, I would be lying if I said I haven't made it up as, you know, I've gone along because, to be honest, I'm a relatively young leader. Uh, in all of my professional life, we've been in a great economic situation where the economy's continued to grow. You know, the last uh, recession in 08, 09, I was probably still in secondary school and uh, I was probably in primary school in the tech bubble in 01. Um, so, you know, it's the first... I guess, big economic event that's happened in my professional career. And I think probably is the, the, the deepest recession in the history of capitalism. So for sure, we've had to make it up as we, we go along. But I think the key guiding principles of the year has been empathy and transparency. And, and you guys on this call would have seen that. 
I think the empathy piece is so important because you've got to appreciate people are now working from home, working from their living rooms. You know, I saw a great quote, are people working from home or living in the office? And, you know, that's a really challenging situation. A lot of our team or some of our team have got young children. How does that impact them? So I think you have to be really empathetic as a leader and try and understand what's going on, but also be really transparent with the business and be really honest about your cash position, what, you know, what, what our goals are, what we want to try and achieve um, and, and take some really hard decisions throughout. And I think that transparency and empathy has served us well as an organization. Um, what else? I think the having, having the single focus is, is also being really, really important. So, uh, you know, I, I often, and you guys will notice we're doing all hands every Wednesday, I often use the analogy of a rowing team. And if you've got, you know, for us, 44 people rowing in the same direction, um, I firmly believe you can beat companies that are 10 times your size because they're kind of going to be rowing all over the place. And I think as a business, we've been incredibly focused this year on the community piece that Daisy's led on, on, on really giving back to the recruitment community and using the, the expertise we've got in-house to, to actually support people in this time. And also just having really clear business objectives on what we're trying to achieve so that all 44 people are, are, are rowing in the same direction and hitting um, hitting that objectives. Um, of course, we've made loads of mistakes, or I've made loads of mistakes because you go into in a year like this, but I, I think that's only natural. Um, and I think the mistakes we have made you know, we've learned from. But I think overall, what I am most proud of, and, and this is a bit of a sneak peek on my, my LinkedIn status that I've been drafting today, uh, you know, it's just how proud I am of the team. I think that, you know, from day one, I try to frame this as an opportunity. I've bored the whole company every Wednesday with a stoic quote about how you can't control what happens, you can only control how you respond. And I've been amazed at how we responded. And, and actually sitting here on December the 15th, I would arguably say that maybe COVID is the best thing that's ever happened to hack a job as a business. And I think that's massively down to the team and how the team has reacted, um, which, as you say, Darren, puts us in a, in a fantastic position to, to really enjoy 2021 and some of the things we've got in the pipeline for them. Yes. So... We've mentioned 2021. I feel like it's time to move on to predictions. Predictions. I can't work out if I'm trying to say projections or predictions. Predictions for 2021. Uh, we'll come to Mr. Kell, you first. What are your predictions for 2021? Okay. Um, channeling Nostradamus here. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure exactly. Uh, I think I'm more interested to see how the, the like I said, touched on Brexit and touched on the, the Hong Kong influx, influx. So we've got through most of this year, to be honest, seeing a decline in EU candidates. Um, I don't want to make a prediction either way, but I'm very interested to see throughout the first couple of quarters of, of next year what the uptake is like on the new visa system, because if we can inject even 10% of the talent that's kind of gone away back into the marketplace next year, then suddenly... There's a hell of a lot more talent on the market. It makes things a lot more available for, for, for companies. Um, so that'd be one interesting thing, as well as obviously the influx of, of, of people from Hong Kong. Um, in terms of remote working as well, obviously touched on it a little bit earlier, but what that's going to do to, to salaries, um, as you know, yes, your, the, the availability of tech increases for you as you can hire people from across the UK, maybe people across Europe. But that also means that your competition increases as well. And with salaries being different in different places, with companies being at a different level, is it going to mean that, you know, your 
your big, really sexy brands can kind of hoover up the, the real top talent from all across the UK. And then actually you're getting a kind of tiering system and it makes it very hard for smaller companies, startups, companies that don't have that, that brand, that pull to hire because they're now competing with even more companies, not just the companies in their local area. Um, I don't think it will happen. I think there will be a, a, a leveling out of the, the market. Um, but I think that'll be something interesting to, to, to see. And I think it touches a little bit on the, the DNI stuff as well. I think one of my pet peeves I've always had with job specs is the ways companies pitch themselves in is things like, oh, we've got a great culture. Oh, we've got a really inclusive culture. Great, that's fine. Anyone can say that, but but show the evidence. And I think company the onus is going to be on more companies to, to work on their brand next year and make sure that they stand out. Because like I said, yes, there's more talent available now that things are more online and you know, there's more work from home and people can commute from further because they're only coming in two days a week, but your competition increases as well. So they really need to be shouting about what's great about their company and providing the evidence, you know, why is your culture great? Show us, have you got a video? Have you got some stats? Have you got, you know, some, some referrals from your current staff? What is it that, that makes your culture great? Let's, let's shout about that. Um, and similarly, you know, when it comes to learning new technologies, Something else that's very important to, to developers, like I said, they're engineers at heart. They want to be building cool things. Um, don't just say, oh, we've got a good L&D program. What, what specifically can you learn? Over the last year, what, what have people learned? You know, get some quotes from some of your current staff. I think that's going to be super, super important next year, making sure that your brand is on point so that you are able to, to, to adapt to a, a very competitive marketplace now that we've seen that rise in remote working. Um, and then from a tech perspective, um, expecting Go to go from strength to strength, expecting Kotlin to go from strength to strength, strength to strength. I think we'll see the, those continue to rise. Um, but I also think the, the adoption of TypeScript, as you touched on a little bit earlier, we're seeing a lot of TypeScript in React. Still not seeing a vast amount of companies adopt that, but I think TypeScript will be the one that will, will really kind of spike up in the, the, the next year. So yeah, any JS or front end developers out there um, probably want to, to get on the list to learn if it's not already. You've heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, Phil Pell's breakout framework or language, depending on how you frame it. It's been so long since we did tech recruitment training, I can't quite remember. But the breakout of 2021 is going to be TypeScript. I can't wait to do this podcast in 12 months' time and see if that comes true or not. Um, Daisy, coming to you next, what is your predictions for 2021? So I think brand storytelling is going to be so big next year so 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 much more than ever before but I don't think it's about the brand telling the stories of the business I think it's the employees because I think when somebody goes for a job interview at a business whilst they admire the leadership team CEO of the work that the wider business is doing ultimately they go and they join a business because you know part of it is really liking and engaging with their teammates and the people that they work with on a daily basis so I think next year it is going to be about brand storytelling, but giving your employees the tools to tell your brand story and kind of watch that growth come in. We've had a lot of discussions about it this year. We're starting to see it a little bit with a few businesses, but I think that is going to be a huge trend next year and it absolutely should be. Um, and I would say the other kind of trend, I think, from a marketing perspective is that kind of key kind of honesty, integrity kind of piece. I think something to always remember, um, it's a really lame quote, but I think in a fruit bowl, you might be the juiciest, shiniest peach and there's still going to be somebody who doesn't like peaches. And I think it's really important that brands remember that you're there not to be liked by everyone. You can't engulf everybody and bring all of those people into your talent pipeline. But if you are a brand who puts your values out there, 
shares who you are in a way that's inclusive and supportive of everybody, you will have the right kind of people that you want for your organisation come to your organisation. And I think marketing and employer brands should go hand in hand in that for sure. Yeah, I think you're, you raised such an interesting point and it also builds on what Phil was just talking about, job descriptions there. You know, we've had businesses tell us for years that they've got a great culture and they're very inclusive. Now's the moment to show that you are, you know, have a great culture and you are very inclusive. And, and those brands that manage to do that successfully would attract the right type of people to their organisation to build that truly inclusive workforce. Darren, coming to you, and you, you've got a tricky position now. You're third in the list. So you can't say predictions that have already been said. You've got to come with some original thinking. What are your so, best bets for 2021? When you come off the field, you know that you're going to have to come up with about 10 or 15 different uh, things to think about because you're never going to get the first nine. So I made, I made sure I had 10 or so, so it's all good. Uh, I think the guys have done an incredible job of going for everything. So uh, the only thing that I, I can really add at this point is that... Um, my prediction is that companies will make more data-driven decisions. I think the the days of of getting a getting a job description and saying, okay, we're looking for this in this niche in this niche location are gone. I think the companies now more than ever are making decisions based on on data. So, uh, can we get this skill set? And if we can't get that skill set, why can't we get that skill set? It might be seniority, it might be the tech stack, it might be whatever. Um, so that's my prediction that companies will make more data-driven decisions and I'm making this more difficult for you because you now need to come after me so have you got any predictions so I'm going to cheat because okay. uh, you guys have touched on pretty much every prediction out there so I'm going to give uh, a prediction or uh, a, a sneak peek into hacker job in 2021 and you will all know this but internally we are dubbing 2021 as the year of the candidate um, so we've done a lot of amazing stuff in the internal recruitment community this year. That's absolutely going to continue. And I've seen Daisy's plan for next year. It's bigger and better than it is this year. But I think what's really exciting is, or not, sorry, let me reframe that. Not what's really exciting. What's really important is that unemployment is going to be the highest it's ever been in the UK, um, probably ever, certainly since the 80s. And I think we're in a really fortunate position to be able to impact that. So I think what people are going to see in 2021 is businesses like ours really take a lead in building tools that help candidates find jobs. And I think we're going to see some really cool innovation in actually how you support a job seeker in that process. Um, not just thinking about it from a marketplace or a job board or a CV database perspective, but actually building tools that focus on the candidate. Um, so that's my prediction. Um, the, the hacker job 2021 slogan is definitely going to be the year of the candidate. And I think with that, we are probably about time to wrap up. So before we do so, I want to say a huge thank you to everybody that has tuned into this podcast throughout this year. It has been our first venture into podcasting um, and a, a huge thank you to Daisy and Darren for all the work they've done on it. A huge thank you to all of the guests we've had on it. We've had some really heavy hitters in the, in the recruitment space. So um, a big thank you to all of those. And as always, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate it. Please share it with your friends or anyone in the recruitment industry that you think might enjoy it. And trust me, we're going to be back even bigger on the podcast from January. So have a fantastic Christmas break, a lovely new year, and we will see you on the other side. Merry Christmas. Thank